Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Bundle up. Some of us seem to have a greater tolerance for the cold than others. I have about six layers on. Just to... <clears throat> I just forgot. <laughs> um, well, welcome. And um, thanks for showing up. Um, I guess that Juzon was mentioning <clears throat> the other day that um, talking about a few precious hours of freedom uh, from work and social obligations and business and such and um, was glad to have a few hours of free time um, and obviously today is a day that people reserve for some free time and um, they're precious they're precious hours and um, the only the I guess the only thing that really matches the preciousness of free time is the pricelessness of this practice so um, it's good that you can spend some of your precious free time, free, free hours, in this practice and sharing it together. Um, we're beginning a series of talks on uh, the precepts because, not only because it's always a wonderful topic and important, but also because one of our Sangha members has uh, asked to receive precepts and has also invited the entire Sangha to join him in studying and practicing for that event, which is a ceremonial um, event called Jukai, during which time uh, a person makes a public, mindful, and deliberate commitment to living in a certain way. Uh, it's called lay ordination. <clears throat> and uh, also, Jureen, Juzan, and Joshin are studying to receive precepts once again as priests. So we're always receiving precepts as part of this practice and every now and again it's good to um, talk about it and bring it to mind um, <clears throat> there are 16 precepts uh, and I'm not going to talk about the nature of a precept I think that I'll allow that to become clear as we go along there are six precepts that precede the ten clear mind or prohibitory precepts. And the first three are um, the precepts of uh, receiving refuge, of taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Uh, the, second are, the second three are called pure mind precepts. Um, 
which are to embrace all good, refrain from evil, and purify the mind. So the first three are the ones that I'd like to address because often these first six are, um, are neglected uh, in favor of talking about the ten that seem to resemble the Ten Commandments, but they're really not commandments at all. Um, the first three precepts, taking refuge, um, uh, this, this weather today reminds me of a story I heard on Prairie Home Companion. Uh, and Garrison Keeler uh, grew up, as many of you know, in Minnesota. And it's a very snowy state and very cold state. And he related the story of his childhood <coughs> when he would, at the time when kids walked home from school, walked to and from school, they weren't, they weren't, no, they weren't bussed. Um, and because the winters were pretty severe, uh, they there was a, a lot of uh, a long way to walk uh, for children in the snow and ice and cold, and so in his town uh, of Lake Wobegon, there was instituted a um, uh, a, a, a procedure called the storm home, and there were certain houses that were designated and chose to be what were called storm homes. And they would have a sign in their window and saying storm home. And this, and this meant that any child who wanted to could stop off on their way home and get some warmth and get some cookies maybe and get some milk and something some some you might say a uh, shelter from the storm and these homes were stationed along routes that children took to walk home and i was reminded of i thought this was a very beautiful gesture on the part of people in the town to provide a refuge for children if they were cold or hungry or just wanted uh, to stop off and get some tender loving care uh, from people along their route home. And it occurred to me that our that Oan, that our little Zendo, is kind of like a storm home. It's uh, it's a refuge. Um, and it occurred to me that wouldn't it be wonderful if we had storm stores and storm libraries and storm cars and storm... Um, 
bungalows and storm uh, what other you know um, storm schools where along our way during our day we could take refuge uh, in in a place like that a place of uh, welcome of safety of comfort um, and that in effect every place would be a storm home and every and and the children who took refuge in these places were called storm children the storm child and in some sense we are all storm children we are all making our way through the storms of life and to take refuge on some level supposes that we're refugees, that we are away from home, that somehow we are not at home, we're, we're wandering or we're, we're lost, or we're just on our way, but we haven't yet come home. And for most of us, our literal homes are our refuges. That is, we... I can't wait to get home. (laughs) And home is a place of comfort, a place of security, a place of safety. Um, When I was a kid, the last place I would consider a refuge was my home. In fact... I think I probably was one of the first latchkey children because when I was a child, no one was home uh, when I got home from school. Uh, Both of my parents were either working or doing something they might not be, should not have been doing, but, uh, but they weren't home. And so... One of my habits as uh, a child was to actually lose my keys um, to my house because I really didn't want to go home. Uh, it was a, it didn't feel like a comforting, welcoming, safe place. And in the course of losing my keys on a pretty daily basis, um, I found somebody else who lived in my apartment building who was willing to take me in and give me some cookies and milk after school. And her name, I, when it, her name was Frances. She was actually a Holocaust survivor because I remember seeing the number, her number on her arm. And she became, her place became my refuge. Um, and so, for me, this was home. And school became more of a home for me. I, I really wanted to be in school more than I wanted to be at home. And so I got really, really good in school. I got excelled in school because I felt that was a safe place to be. And as I grew up, um, I had 
people became a refuge. My Aunt Betty was someone I would usually turn to uh, for comfort and advice and sort of a sense of safety. And eventually places, other places, the woods. Um, I remember when I lived at Skytop, there was a clump of birch trees um, that whenever I was distressed, I would always go to these, this, I would always stand in the middle of these birch trees and um, feel safe. And I could, I could tell the trees my troubles and I could find some comfort in their, their embrace, you could say. And I bet each of you, um, and we didn't go through introductions because you all know each other, but I bet each of you can remember or have now a refuge of this sort that is um, a place, a person, a situation that you go to um, to find, you could say, shelter from the storm. And I wonder if you'd be willing to just share whether it was as a kid or in the course of your life or, or now. Uh, if one were to ask, where do you go for refuge? Where do you go? Uh, to return to a deep sense of safety, of feeling at home, feeling comforted, feeling that you truly are, can be completely who you are. Can we, can we come up with yeah. <clears throat> um, a summer camp that I, I will go to the past, not now, but um, a summer camp that I went to as a kid and then worked at. Um, I don't know, it was just a place where I think in a way it was the island of misfit kids. Um, <laughs> so those of us who didn't really have um, a refuge in school or in our social lives or somehow when we got there everything was okay and anything went and we were all accepted. And so um, that's, I think of home that's one of the first places that comes to mind. So. When I was a little kid, I used to go play in my basement. Cause I'm an only child, so there weren't a lot of people in my house, but it's a small house. Um, no one ever wanted to be in the basement because it smelled bad. <laughs> <laughs> so I would always go play down there. As a child, I think just home was a safe place. Now, I mean, sometimes my home is, but sometimes I don't leave myself alone, so <laughs> that creates a lot of stress. But I mean, like, reading has been a refuge. Just, mm -hmm. I mean, the woods. Mm -hmm. um, well, the first thing that came to mind is my RC organization, because I can, it's, it's just, it's people, it's not a particular place, but I can reach out when I need, when I need um, 
how to term it, but that connection, yeah. Um, and um, so I use that now and then. <clears throat> uh, when I was a kid, I think I have a similar experience to you made on that. Um, home wasn't always the most, you know, refugee feeling <laughs> place. <laughs> Um, I remember spending a lot of time playing in the forest behind my house, and we lived, you know, relatively in the city when I was young. Um, but I remember spending hours just, you know, wandering around the woods and, you know, digging for dinosaur bones a foot <laughs> in the ground and expecting <laughs> to find something. Um, and actually, what, what Kelly said as well struck me as well that when I was, particularly when I was in um, elementary school, and middle school, books were a really big refuge for me where I would just read all the time and, you know, kind of go to these my nerdy fantasy fiction world books and <laughs> live in this other fantasy land in, in my mind. Mm-hmm. So Buddha had an experience also as a child uh, when his father went out to plow the fields of course, he didn't. He was a king, so he didn't. I mean, he supervised the plowing of fields, <laughs> um, but he placed the young Siddhartha under a rose apple tree in one afternoon, and the young Buddha had a deep experience of. Um, you might say, peace and oneness and rightness uh, of who he was and his place in the world. And when he grew up and uh, went on his search for liberation, he remembered this experience that he had as a young child, this moment sitting under this rose apple tree. And when he had reached the point practically of death, he, he, had, he was on the point of death and was, had sort of starved himself um, with ascetic practices, trying to break through to a fully liberated state, he remembered this experience as a child, and this led him to sit under the bow tree as a young man. And it was under this tree that he came home, you might say. He was a, seek, a, ser, a searcher, a seeker, um, a refugee. Um, and remembering his very first sense of coming home, coming home under that tree, he was able to reach out to this next experience. And so what he discovered was that we're always looking for refuges outside of ourselves. 
camp, the basement, a book, a fantasy, uh, other people, um, school. Um, and of course, we live in a society of experts. So when we're looking for help, for refuge, we usually turn somewhere outside of ourselves to find comfort, answers, safety. But what Buddha discovered, his great discovery, was that the only true refuge is inside ourselves. Um, And so when we take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, we are really taking inner refuge because all of, all of these facets, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, are all facets of who we really are. And so when we turn inward, we find our deepest and truest refuge. Um, and there's something... deeply joyful about that act of discovery. One of the things that we discover is that when we turn inward and find our refuge inside, we see the connectedness of all things. So, as Dogen says, when we turn inward and connect with our deepest self, our self falls away, and we become one with all things. But our inclination is always to look, oh, it's out there. That's going to save me. That person's going to save me. That job's going to save me. That money is going to save me. That set of circumstances, uh, the spring is going to come, and it's going to save me. Um, we have a profound distrust of our inner inner life and our inner truth. I'll never forget one one year, um, my my husband at that time uh, took a trip overseas and I was alone um, taking care of the house and um, I was vacuuming And suddenly the vacuum cleaner broke and nothing was happening. And my immediate reaction was I would have called him, (laughs) you know, Len, come and come and fix, help me fix this. Or I would have, my immediate reaction would be to call someone and not to somehow trust myself. But this particular time, I said to myself, why not take a look in the vacuum cleaner? Why not open it up if you can and see, maybe you can see something that you didn't think you could see. And I did open it up, and I just saw that the rubber belt which was 
moving with the brush and helping the vacuum do its job had come off. And I put it back on. And I was so thrilled with myself. I said, you fixed it! You know, I, I couldn't believe that I had actually fixed something that I would typically think, I could never figure this out. Well, there's something of that spirit in our practice. That when we take refuge in our inner life, in our Buddha nature, in our connection with all things, with all dharmas, and with all sangha members, we discover that what we're looking for is right there. That it, it is, we can have complete confidence in that inner turning. That to be a refugee is to have wandered from that deep confidence in oneself. As we chanted this morning, Atadipa, you are the light. Rely on yourself. Do not rely on others. This doesn't mean that we're not connected with others. It means that our pathway into that connection is through our confidence our trust in our own deepest nature. So, um, my, my other question about taking refuge was not just what does it mean to be a refugee and to have a refuge that we go to. But what does it mean to take refuge? And my sense of of the act of taking refuge is one in which we give ourselves completely with no reservations whatsoever. Like, I can, I, in my imagination, it's when I come home and I really feel at home, it's like, wow, I'm here. I'm, it's like when I visited Israel um, many years ago, um, you know, is, Israel is was established as a refuge for the Jewish people because so much of the lives of Jewish people are spent in wandering, in, in exile. Um, and so Israel is a homeland, is the Jewish homeland. And as people, as Jewish people were getting off the plane coming home, it's very very moving and touching, they would 
as soon as they set foot on the land, they would fall onto their knees and kiss the earth because they had arrived home. This was their homeland. And it's this kind of when you kind of recognize that this practice is our true home, the, the act of taking refuge is, is emotional. It's as if when we bow, when we do a full prostration, our lineage holder talked about um, just falling down onto the earth. Just putting all your doubts and all your reservations and all your analyses and all your fantasies, putting them right in front of you and falling, falling down on them. It's like this. That's the act of taking refuge. <coughs> and before we receive precepts, before we receive precepts, we take refuge. We give ourselves completely. I last night right before I went to bed thinking about the Dharma talk today just came to me the poem by Emma Lazarus. Give me see if you recognize this where this comes from. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched (coughs) refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Where that's from? Ellis Island, it's the inscription of the Statue of Liberty. It's on the base of the Statue of Liberty. It was holding this lamp, this light, for refugees. This country is a refuge. And in thinking about American Buddhism, it's quite a powerful thought to think that um, our country is a refuge in the way our practice is a refuge. That we welcome <coughs> refugees. This is, a, this is a country of refugees. As our practice is a, is a refuge for people who are, have wandered from home, who are searching, who are looking. And this lamp that the, that the Statue of Liberty holds is that beacon of practice, um, is that light that is in all of us that we need to come home to. And so I wanted to sort of leave you with this surprising, bit of a surprising uh, discovery about our country, and sometimes I'm kind of really down on our country, 
uh, for a lot of stuff, <laughs> but on a very deep level. This bodhisattva, this, this liberty, is about coming home just as we are. So, a little refuge here in the woods, in this larger refuse, refuge of our country. So, thank you.